Hello, and welcome to Studio Class. I'm Megan Enan, your host and diva sidekick. I'm a mezzo-soprano on a mission to change the world through the commissioning, performance, and proliferation of new music. Are you just beginning your singing career? In the midst of building your successful empire, or anywhere in between, I hope you'll join me in this second season as we talk about the ins and outs of both a traditional and non-traditional singing path. It's not always easy, and if your experience is anything like mine, we barely scratched the surface of this in studio class. However, I'm here to give you the micro-actions that over time will transform your relationship to your career. Let's do this. Hi Divas! Thanks for joining me for episode number 20. In this 20th episode, we're continuing our slightly different approach to studio class. Today we're relying on the wisdom in the book, Make Success Measurable, a mind book workbook for setting goals and taking action by Douglas K. Smith. Any of you who have been listening to the podcast, reading The Sybaritic Singer, or found me because of my burnout article on New Music Box will know that I am big on goal setting and breaking down outcomes into micro action steps. This mind book workbook by Douglas K. Smith plays into all of those obsessions for me. When people are saying, follow your dreams and let your passion guide you, I'm going, "Mm mm-mm, no way. (laughs) I need to know a how and a path. So if you're like me, I think you'll love this section called Focus on Outcomes, Not Activities. Ready? Because here we go. So as we're getting started, I want you to take a moment right now and set forth one to five specific performance challenges that most concern you. So remember when uh, throughout this conversation, I want you to think of performance in a more holistic sense, not uh, the narrow focus of what we're actually doing when we get up on stage or we get into a performance space and we're actually singing or performing. (laughs) So I want you to think about Uh, Performance challenges, as in all areas of your life, where would you like a better sense or flow in performance? So one, one to five, this could be, it could be something contributing to actual performance, like I want, or my challenge is uh, memorization, for example, or maybe it's something outside of that. Maybe my challenge is negotiating. That's a performance area that I'm, that I'm not doing well in and therefore blocking blocking money or financial resources coming into my life. So take a moment. You can totally pause this episode right here. (laughs) We're only like a minute and a half into it. (laughs) So pause now. Think about a few of these specific performance challenges that most concern you. So going on, What we're really focusing on in this chapter is focusing on outcomes and not activities. I love this idea so much because I think part of our obsession with busyness comes from focusing on activities, thinking that that will somehow magically lead us to outcomes rather than thinking about the outcomes and then choosing activities based on the outcomes. So using outcomes, not activities as goals. Performance begins with focusing on outcomes instead of activities. 
In my experience, most people in most organizations, most of the time, do the reverse. (laughs) They concentrate their efforts on the pursuit of activities instead of outcomes. As a result, they rarely set or or achieve performance results that matter. So this is Douglas K. Smith speaking here or or writing here. And as you'll notice, this is going to have a lot of like really businessy corporate speak in it. And I'm going to try and change that as we go. But I think that you'll be able to filter that as as you choose. If you read the goals of many people, you will see comments such as, quote, research what customers want, end quote, or quote, develop plans to reduce errors or reorganize into teams or even improve cross-functional communication, end quote. These are not effective performance goals. They are activities that may or may not produce performance results that matter. For example, research what customers want is an activity that might lead to improvements in meeting customer needs, and develop plans to reduce errors is an activity that might lead to fewer errors. But neither of these activities lets the people involved know when they have succeeded, or even how their efforts matter to their own success and that of their organization. Or when I say organization, even substitute something like ensemble, right? So thinking about we have our own personal understanding of success, and then we have success as our ensemble, as our organization, as our own companies, etc. Hi, Hunter. (laughs) Some activity-based goals are even worse than something like research what customers want. Consider improve cross-functional communication. Good cross-functional communication is one of many characteristics of effective organizations, but this goal tells us nothing about performance outcomes that matter. If you were part of a group pursuing this goal, you would know neither when you were working to improve cross-functional communication nor how to evaluate whether you had succeeded. So just fill in the blank here with, oh, I'm running an opera company or I'm running a startup opera company and we really want to work on communicating across the group so that, oh, maybe everybody's having that challenge of like, do we continue to use email or do we use Google Docs or do we use Slack? How do we get a hold of each other and when do we talk about these things? You know, so part of that is just basic functionality of an organization. But if your goal is good cross-functional communication, is that really the outcome or is that just a, a symptom that you need to work on to get towards the outcome of a better opera company? So regrettably, activity-based goals too often produce dispiriting experiences and mediocrity in organizational life. When people lack the most basic understanding of why their efforts matter and how to recognize success, the self-confident spirit of a high-performance organization evaporates. Let me rephrase this. When people lack the most basic understanding of why their efforts matter and how to recognize success, the self-confident spirit of a high performer evaporates. If you don't know why the effort and the hard work you're putting into your career or cannot even possibly recognize the success that you're having and how success links to success in your life, in your career trajectory, your self-confident spirit will disappear, will dissipate entirely. People throughout the organization seek refuge in the pursuit of activities without any clear purpose. I think that you could probably look around the field and see a lot of your colleagues participating in the pursuit of activities without any real clear purpose. So we are always trying to trying our best to research what customers want or what uh, audition panels want or 
organizations develop plans to reduce errors. We're working on uh, reducing errors in our performance in our actual execution of a piece. We reorganize into teams. Oh, maybe if I'm with that ensemble or I'm with that opera house, it'll be better. We improve cross-functional communication. Oh, if I just got a lot better at communicating with other ensemble members, or if I got a lot better at communicating with the field, oh man, wouldn't it just be better if I was really good at social media? (laughs) But, and re-engineer our costs. Oh, if I just learned how to have much, uh, just if I learned how to cut all my costs in my life so that I could focus on music, then it'll all work out but they are never putting forth a best effort. Quote unquote, they are forever getting in the way of what exactly? And then we are not too sure. But when it comes time to review our performance, quote unquote, we can point to any number of activities we have undertaken to, for example, research customer needs. We have done our best and no one can convince us otherwise. They had better reward us. This is that same idea. I have put in all of this time to reduce errors in my performance. I should win this audition. And then without understanding, you know, if the organization continues to flounder, well, we feel bad about it, but it's not our fault. We've done our job, right? If I'm just showing up and I'm just doing this, I've reduced all the errors in my performance, or I'm, I was really on top of communicating with, with the directors, et cetera, et cetera, but the company isn't doing well and I'm not contributing to overall outcomes, then have we really done our job? So don't let yourself drift into waters like these. Don't waste your working life pursuing activities for the sake of activities. Instead, begin your journey toward performance by focusing on outcomes and results that matter instead of activities only. If you prefer, instead of outcomes, you can choose any of the following words, impacts, consequences, ends, effects, or even payoffs, even though (laughs) you might find some people being like, no, no, I don't want to think of it that way. Or you can choose any other word so long as the clear and easily grasped meaning of that word is the performance outcome or result of effort instead of a description of the effort itself. Let's be very clear on this. What we're really talking about here is we're measuring success by the result of effort rather than a description of the effort itself. For example, consider the word payoff. Will you and others quickly and dependably interpret payoff to mean the impacts, outcomes, and results you hope will happen instead of only the activities by which you conduct that effort? If yes, then go ahead and use the word payoff. Otherwise, avoid it. So notice, please, I'm not saying that activities are bad. I'm saying that goals that are activity-based are ineffective. Activities are the things people do or must do to produce performance outcomes. We cannot achieve outcomes without doing activities. Activities are the inputs by which we achieve the impacts of performance results. But, divas, activities are not outcomes. When people confuse activities with goals, they get lost. They soon cease all pursuit of clear and compelling outcomes and results. They travel in circles. Instead of producing outcomes that matter, activity-based goals only produce more activities that in turn produce still more activities and so on. And so I want to take a pause for a moment right here. And I had mentioned that burnout article at the beginning of this episode. And this, this kind of information is what I desperately needed at that moment. I saw 
I saw my burnout coming from a mile away. I saw that dark cloud feeling of like, oh man, I just cannot, I'm just really not able to do this or I can't, I am taking this on and I'm just kind of failing at, at all of these steps. And and I thought, okay, well, Megan, you better just work your way out of it. You know, that Midwestern, like, Protestant work ethic showing up really hardcore, like <laughs> that, that, like, you're only as valuable as a human being by what you produce, right? Uh, you know, raise your hands if you're with me there. So, um, so I know that that's not everybody, but that's definitely part of my, my story, my history as a person. And so... I thought for the longest time that, you know, activities were outcomes, or at least I could point to activities and say, those are getting me to outcomes, rather than having a very clear idea of what the outcomes were, and only choosing activities that were geared towards achieving those outcomes. So in contrast, when people have clear outcome-based performance goals, they know best how to choose conduct, evaluate, and modify the activities necessary for such achievement. This is the entire thing I was missing. They continue to do activities, but with clear purposes and goals in mind, rather than just saying, well, I better, I better take on this project and this project and this project and send all of those emails and make sure that I do this project, uh, sign up for this thing and make sure I do that audition and not having any sort of awareness about whether or not that was contributing to the larger goal, because I thought just do a lot of work. And there is a time period in in your life, you know, that Ira Glass quote that I really, really love, which is do a lot of work. And then the part that I was missing out of that was that there is a time in which doing a lot of work is going to stall out and needs to turn into doing meaningful and impactful work. And if you're not entirely sure what the impacts or the meaningful aspects are of the work you want to do, then you will continue to spin your wheels and you won't be making an impact or having any sort of meaningful outcome. And so there was a a do a lot of work mentality that shifted into, but I want to have an impact, but not knowing how to reconcile those those two ideas. So let me illustrate this in the context of team performance. I've had the opportunity to observe thousands of team-oriented efforts in organizations. Sometimes the context has been a single small group. Other times it has been many small groups spanning the organization. I always ask those involved, what are the performance outcomes you're trying to achieve? Far too often people describe the activities associated with teaming instead of the results such teaming might accomplish. Quote, we need to work collaboratively. We need to be a team. We're trying to make sure all relevant functions participate. We want to have more teams. We're reorganizing into teams. We need to make sure everyone gets trained in how to team, etc., etc. Are such activities helpful? Most of the time, yes. But I've observed that people who participate in such initiatives only accidentally produce performance results that matter. They lack the most basic sense of what they're trying to accomplish. Look back at the responses. Not a word in them tells you why all the collaboration, multifunctional effort, teaming, and training matters to performance. We can take this to mean like, oh, I just, I need to get into a bigger organization, or I need to be in that ensemble, etc., etc., without understanding like what it is in that ensemble that you're actually trying to achieve, right? If you're thinking, oh, I just need to be in that ensemble, you want to ask yourself like, why? <laughs> like, what is it that they're doing that aligns with your with your overall outcomes? 
The least likely way to deliver team performance is to make your primary objective becoming a team. Yet each of the activity-based answers listed above has becoming a team as the objective lurking at or near the surface. So people who are focused on working more collaboratively or ensuring that all perspectives are present or increasing the number of teams or increasing the size of their ensemble or increasing the number of shows that they're doing are people trying to be a team as opposed to people seeking to apply the team discipline to deliver specific performance outcomes and results that matter. So clear and compelling performance objectives are the driving force behind teams or fill in the blank ensembles, organizations. I'm going to just probably change that. So not the desire to be an ensemble or an organization. Ensembles that understand the difference between outcomes and activities are ensembles that are well positioned to learn the discipline needed to perform. There's a night and day difference between these clear and compelling outcome-based performance goals and the activity-based goals stated earlier. So, for example, they, he lists a few here, like win contracts from at least two major equipment manufacturers based on your new component design by the end of this calendar year. So we could always just change these things to say win contracts or win roles from two major houses, right? Uh have five joint local national headquarters fundraising teams succeed in raising at least $100,000 each from new sources over the next 15 months. We do fundraising in all capacities all the time. So maybe we reframe this as have five, have five new fundraising partners and a metric of, you know, I'm going to raise $1,000 from each one of these prospects over the next 15 months. Uh, within 60 days, deliver to senior management specific recommendations. For example, within 60 days, pitch to someone who is in a decision-making role at uh, the symphony or at an opera house, etc. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see here. Oh, he has one that's like, never permit any customer checkout line to be more than three people long, right? So this just change these in your mind to be like, never have a queue of of let's say, I'm going to take this for me, um, never have a queue of six of six commissions that don't have performances attached to them. So all of these have are outcome-based performance goals instead of activity-based goals. And so the same is true for other critical skill, behavior, and working relationship challenges beyond teams. By focusing on performance outcomes and results instead of activities, People throughout today's organizations, ensembles, etc., can master challenges ranging from improved customer service, or maybe think of this as improved audience building, quality of performance, partnering with other ensembles or strategic partners for fundraising, and innovation to, uh, to create better systems, platforms for what we're doing. So unfortunately, far too many people in for-profit, non-profit, and government organizations are focused on activities instead of outcomes. So don't make this mistake. Setting and achieving results that matter begin with outcome-based goals instead of activity-based goals. So what I really love about this book is that he calls it this mind book and workbook. Right? So there's there's the, the information, and then he also does a workbook section that's going to help us and our colleagues make the shift from activities to results. So the first section explains why an orientation towards performance results has become so challenging. So understanding these difficulties can help us avoid them. But then the second section provides exercises that we can use to help set outcome-based goals. So a couple of the things that I wanted to talk about in here is that 
uh, a couple, I, he makes a really great point about uh, financial measurement. And so ask how to evaluate the performance of an enterprise, and invariably the answer comes dressed in financial terms, such as revenues, costs, and profits. This should surprise no one. Organizations and ensembles have measured and evaluated their performance financially as long as any of us can remember. And we have become very sophisticated at doing so. Simple balance sheet and profit and loss indicators have evolved into a complex array of financial indicators. So, but take this to mean any sort of, any sort of metric that is a dollar-based or, or uh, currency-based <laughs> um, financial measurement. So if you're like, well, I want to, I want to increase audience engagement or I want to increase, I want to do better audience building and you're thinking only about butts and seats, that's a financial measurement, friends. So, or if you're looking at your contracts and you're saying, okay, over the course of time, I want bigger paychecks, that's a financial measurement. Um, if you are thinking about, I want to work at a bigger house, I want an Opera America level two, I want an, uh, you know, I'm going for Opera level, Opera America level three to Opera America level two houses, that's a financial measurement as well. So, so be aware of some of the some of the ways that you might be talking yourself into financial measurement only metrics, even if it's dressed up as other other words, other phrases. So this financial orientation is an integral part of our everyday experience and reality. It's even embedded in our language, as we were just talking about. The phrase most often used to describe performance is the bottom line. So I want you guys to go back and think about that. But what I really like about what Douglas K. Smith is saying here is that a singular obsession with financial indicators ultimately destroys those indicators. Achieving sustained organizational performance demands, outcomes, and results that benefit all of the constituencies that matter is the whole point. Is that, yes, that financial measurement should be one of our metrics. I'm not saying that it shouldn't, but there are other aspects about this that uh that these organizational performance demands outcomes and results that benefit all of the constituencies. I want you to think about what those constituencies might be. So another part of this is that when we think particularly in music, that he makes this great point about uh, financial goals typically only inspire a very narrow part of the population. So when we're trying to look at that, that there are very few of us probably in the field, particularly in the arts, that are super financially motivated. And so only thinking about it in those terms can be very demoralizing and demotivating. So please don't feel like I'm saying that this needs to be the only way. Just think about it's one of the ways that we think about about metrics. And then finally, Financial only goals is a barrier that inevitably blocks the translation of overall goals into sub goals. So if we're only thinking about financial goals, then we may only we may only focus on activities that are directly related to financial goals rather than thinking about what are our overall outcomes. Some of those might be related to financial metrics and some of them may not. So it's going to help us be a little bit more open. Okay, so. When combined, these misguided assumptions and natural anxieties and the strong financial legacy help explain why people find it so difficult to focus on performance outcomes instead of activities. So as you reflect on your own performance challenges, you should be candid about these obstacles. Having done that, the most important step you, 
your colleagues, your ensemble colleagues can take is to resolve not to allow such forces to get in your way. You can start today. Pick a performance challenge that matters and work together to identify the performance outcomes and results that make sense to pursue. Yes, of course, identify the activities necessary to accomplish these outcomes. This is such an important step. But what I'm trying to say overall is that we're trying to reframe so that it's outcomes that drive activities rather than activities driving nebulous outcomes. So this next section is the workbook section, and it provides a series of exercises that you can use to make this important shift from a focus on activities to a focus on outcomes. So we're going to go through a little bit of this together. Okay, consider any effort, initiative, program, plan, assignment, or project to which you are making a contribution. Go ahead, pause right here and think about all of the various projects, plans, etc. that you are, are actually actively contributing to. Then take a few moments, write a description of that effort, and estimate the expected time frame for its completion. Okay, so any of these projects that you're working on right now, you, I want you to separate, I'm part of an ensemble and that, that's kind of like an organizational level idea that can you break down what you're doing as an ensemble into projects, into specific projects. And then there, there you can connect a time frame for those project completions. And then also identify the people who are joining you in that effort. So this is a place where you want to include your ensemble mates or your organization, if it makes sense. And or if you are teaching in a school, thinking about your colleagues there, if you are working on some initiatives together in your department or your program, then thinking about that time frame as well. These are, this is, remember, I'm talking about performance and a holistic function here as all parts of your life. So it doesn't matter if, if it's directly related to getting on stage and making sound, or if it is any sort of, any sort of artistic impulse that you have. And then consider doing these exercises with those colleagues, but you don't have to. Please know that you can just do this totally by yourself. And they all have a different uh, variety of approaches. So you might find some more useful than others. And you might have heard of some of these before. I've definitely talked about them. I think a couple of these on the blog, but this is another fun way to go about it. Okay, so mirror, mirror. Uh, gather any formal goals that you have written down or that are part of your management system. If any or all of you have no written goals at all, discuss the implications of that among yourselves and then move on to the next exercise. If you do have written goals, analyze them. Are they activity-based or outcome-based? So I highly encourage you to have some goals written down. And just remember, take a pencil to paper. It doesn't really matter. You don't, it doesn't set them in stone if you write them down. <laughs> you don't have to do them. But having some goals that are written down really, really do change the way that you start to think about them. And if you haven't written any down, but you're going to write them down now, ask yourself or maybe be aware as you're doing it, am I consistently writing goals that are activity-based or outcome-based? Okay, so next exercise. How would you know success? So imagine that I've just spent 15 to 20 minutes with you and your colleagues. You've explained to me an effort that you have underway and the time frame projected to complete it. Now take five or 10 minutes alone or in pairs to answer the following question. Here we go. How would I know if you and your colleagues were successful in this effort? 
In other words, if I were to disappear and return at some relevant point in the future, how would I know whether the effort succeeded? What would you and your colleagues point to as indicators of that success? So really going back to any of these, if the goal is, we'll take some, um, I'm just going to try and come up with some goals of my own, um, that a specific venue a performance, right? So if I'm saying, oh, that one of the outcomes that I want, this is directly tied to my to my larger goals or what makes an impact is performing at this venue, then clearly I would be able to go yes or no, I was successful in performing at that venue, right? And that tells me what kind of activities I need to undertake to get there. <laughs> um, another one is say I'm working on building a commissioning fund and if I just say build a commissioning fund, but I don't have a dollar amount attached to it, it's less it's less understood whether or not I've hit a goal. So if I say I want to I want to create a half million dollar commissioning fund, then it's very clear. If I want to create a half half million dollar commissioning fund by 2025, then it's very clear whether or not at, you know, July 1st, 2025, I've met that goal or not. So think about your goals, the goals that you just wrote down, the goals that you have written down, ask yourself, how would I know if I were successful in this effort? The next one is the five hows. This is definitely one that I've written about before, so you may have come into contact with it uh, here or just widely. I'm saying I've written about it, so I'm sure that other people have come into contact with it. And It comes from a very useful technique called the five whys, which help people gain clarity about why they're doing something. And the objective here is to gain increasing clarity and specificity specificity about the performance outcomes that matter most to the effort you and your colleagues have underway. So the exercise starts the same way as the previous exercise. Once you've recorded your responses to the question, how would you know success? Ask the same question again, but with reference to the answers. So you continue to do this up to five times or until your answers describe performance outcomes or results instead of activities. So please compare the specificity of the fifth answer with the specificity of the first answer. The fifth answer is a much better outcome-based goal than the first. And we're gonna kind of walk through one right here. And I'll, I'll read you the ones that Douglas K. Smith uses in the book, but then I'm going to kind of reframe them for music things. So if the first question is, how would you know success? And the answer is, we would do a better job of leading the market. So I would just change that to, I would do a better job of leading the field. And then the next one, how would you know you succeeded at leading the market? How would you know you succeeded at leading the field? Well, we would be faster at identifying and meeting new customer needs. I would reframe that to, I'd be faster at identifying and meeting new or creating new or doing audience building, for example. I'd be faster at identifying new audiences. I'd be faster at meeting new audience needs. Or I'd be faster at identifying an opera, uh, an opera house's needs. And then number three. How would you know you you succeeded at being faster at identifying and meeting new customer needs? How would I know that I was I succeeded at being faster at identifying new audience members? Well, we would quote, we would reduce the time it takes to introduce new products and increase the commercial success rate of those new products. Hmm. So let's rephrase this. It would I would reduce the time that it's taking me to 
to introduce new roles into my into my repertoire base. Uh, I would introduce new new recitals, new audition um, arias, etc. And increase the commercial success rate of those new products. I would be able to identify uh, productions, houses, ensembles, performance opportunities that have a higher potential commercial success rate. And maybe be careful, you know, commercial success rate kind of has that financial measurement quality attached to it. But maybe that is a place where we do want to include that. So number four, how would you know you succeeded at reducing the time it takes to introduce those new products and increase the commercial success rate of those new products? We will cut the time cut the time from idea to product introduction in half while doubling the commercial success rate of new products. Mm, so this is another one of those. I'd cut the time that it takes me to get from idea to execution, the time that it takes me. It potentially takes me quite a while to to gather an entire recitals worth, but if I know how to develop recitals out of repertoire that I know is already successful, is already audience successful, potentially I could do more with those and create a higher, higher impact, higher visibility performance. How would you know you succeeded at cutting the time frame idea to product introduction in half while doubling the commercial success rate of new products? For the next 10 ideas that get the go-ahead, we will take no more than three months to introduce each, and at least four of them will be commercially successful one year after their introduction. So this is where we really get into outcome-based work because, okay, so say for the next, so I'm going to try and reframe this a little bit into potentially our lives or arts lives in general. Uh, So for the next, I'm going to take myself, for example, for the next 10 commissions that get get contracted signed contracts i will take no more than three months to get them booked onto a performance event and at least four of them will be commercially successful is what they use but maybe i say that at least four of them will get recorded or at least four of them will get secondary performances within one year after their introduction so you can start to break that down a little bit more. But do you see how suddenly at the fifth answer, we we get, uh, you know, we get quantity, quality, etc. All of those metrics jumping in to help us have actual outcomes from what we're working on. So take that as you go. So basically what you want to go through is go back to your original goals. How would I know if you and your colleagues were successful in this effort and then go through that How would you know success? How would you know that you succeeded at the thing you said in the first answer? How would you know that you succeeded at the thing you said in the second answer? How would you know that you succeeded at the thing you said in the, like, for the third answer? And so on and so forth. Number, our next exercise, so what is this, four? Exercise number four is called stakeholder constituency analysis. Ooh, these, all these corporate terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a useful way to gain an outcome focus is to ask yourself, to whom does this effort matter and why? This basic question guides you toward a performance orientation. Thus, consider the following constituencies that might matter to the success of your organization. And he just breaks it down into external constituencies and internal constituencies. And I think that we can think about this 
right away. We don't, I mean, it doesn't even need that much like translation, but customers, shareholders, strategic partners, distributors, suppliers, regulators, and others. So these external constituencies are audiences, production teams, uh, patrons, distributors, so uh, composers, right? Suppliers also, composers and, and publishers, etc. And then your internal constituencies are really yourself and people in other functions that work with you. So if you're in an ensemble, these are your ensemble colleagues. Um, these are also the people that you are partnering with, really, if you're thinking about if everybody's really on board, um, that uh, presenters could or could not fall into internal constituencies, depending on how they're involved with you. If they're a presenter, but they're not really involved with what you're doing, then they're going to be an external constituency where it's it's incumbent upon you to like pay them. Then then your internal, they're not going to fall under an internal constituency. However, if they're on board, if they're, if they've committed to making this work happen, you know, they, they're pretty clearly an internal constituency at that point. So whether your effort spans much or all of your organization or is confined to yourself or to a small number of your colleagues in an ensemble, take the time to respond to the following three questions. To which of these constituencies does your effort matter or make a difference? Friends, I think that this is actually a really big question for us. And and to which of these constituencies does your effort matter? I would really like it to not only just be you, but to more people. <laughs> like I know that that seems a little silly to say, but I want you to be okay with knowing when you're making music just for yourself or when you're making experiences just for yourself. And when you are making experience for experiences only for yourself, but wishing that it was for other people, those are two very different things. And it's okay to start to think through that process. So number two, why does it matter to them? Why do they care? Why do they care about the work that you're doing? What is it? And if you think back to a previous episode of Studio Class, we were talking about how performance is an identity marker for audience members as well. So what is it in their identity that you are presenting to them? So why do they care? What about what about their identities being represented here? And it could be farther than that. You know, it could be so many other things. But why does it matter to them? Is it isn't a question that we should just go, oh, because maybe they like music. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, but, but a lot of people I talk to that, that's, that's the, that's the baseline is, oh, they like, people like music. And so they'll come to this. And I think that that is a very, uh, it could be so, so much more informative for the person making the experience and making music than, than just that and brushing it off. Okay. Number three. How would they, the members of these constituency, judge whether your effort succeeded? So think through those one more time. So number one, to which of these constituency, constituencies does your effort matter or make a difference? Number two, why does it matter to them? Why do they care? Number three, how would they judge whether your effort succeeded? And that can include yourself in that constituency. If you're making a work for yourself, 
then you get to be the one who judges whether your effort succeeded. But then if you're also making work for other people, how would they judge whether your effort succeeded? This is really important if you think about an ensemble, even if you have a duo or a trio, you have a relatively small ensemble, that what does success mean to your duo or trio mates versus what does success mean to you? Now let's go on. So the fifth fifth exercise is scratching the activity itch. Okay, go ahead, scratch that activity itch. <laughs> Take some time and list all the activities that you and your colleagues need to complete as part of your effort. That's right, go ahead, get them all out on the table. And then when the frenzy is over, when you feel like you've listed all the necessary activities, then go back to exercise two or three. And with respect to each of these activities, ask, how would I know if these activities were successful. So all of those things on your to-do list at the moment, seriously, go ahead, break them down in, into even more small micro action steps. I am all about that. I love that stuff. But go back through and then ask yourself for each one of those things, how would I know if this activity is successful? Okay, number six, this one's called metrics or yardsticks. So take five to 10 minutes to identify as many metrics or yardsticks by which you might evaluate the success of your effort. Remember to identify both financial and non-financial yardsticks. Having done so and discussed these yardsticks amongst yourselves, return to exercise number two. How would I know if this activity or this yardstick determines success? And this is our last one. This is our last exercise. Number seven, inputs impacts and outputs. So this exercise is a bit more sophisticated. And so these activities are the inputs by which we achieve the outputs of performance outcomes. However, sometimes there's an intermediate set of accomplishments that interposes itself between activities and results. These intermediate accomplishments are impacts. You and your colleagues might find it useful to set goals that include a mixture of impacts and outputs. To illustrate this, consider some of the inputs, impacts, and outputs typically involved in a total quality effort. So the inputs are these raw activities. They almost always include training or education efforts to introduce people to the philosophy and tools of total quality. These inputs lead to intermediate impacts that might include the number of people trained or even better, the number of teams that have set total quality goals that matter. But the most critical performance outcomes would include the outputs accomplished by those teams, such as errors reduced, cycles, cycle times shortened, customer satisfaction increased, revenues gained, and skills learned and applied. Whew, this one's a little bit of a bunch of stuff to unpack. However, what I really like is uh, we were talking uh, on Facebook recently, we talked about uh, the California Symphony doing all of this awesome development work and really changing development on its head versus how it was done before in their organization. And I think that this is a really good example of that, which is, is the inputs, which is kind of leading people along a path or leading people in a funnel to becoming major gift donors, essentially. You could think of it as the same way. So the inputs are the raw activities, right? So maybe the raw activity is sending this email to alert my email list that I have this performance coming up. And then the intermediate impacts are people that showed up at the event. However, maybe that's an 
intermediate impact because what you're actually trying to do is turn those people into patrons. So if your overall performance outcome is that you have that uh, in the next 90 days, you have engaged or you've started a relationship, um, you know, a contractual, even a contractual relationship with a patron, then you are working from your input to impact which is getting them there and starting and moving that relationship onto the next step. And then your, and then your performance outcome, which is getting them to commit to you financially as a patron, for example. I, I don't know if that one totally works in the same way, but it's, I think it's a one that's a little bit clearer than, than how we were talking about it here. So you and your colleagues might find the distinctions among inputs at impacts and outputs helpful. Accordingly, take time and you can kind of complete, like if you just create a little table, create a little box, and at the left, put inputs in parentheses, put activities, and then draw a little arrow. In the middle, put impacts, draw another arrow, and then put outputs slash outcomes on the right side. And you'll be able to to go through and kind of complete that table and so and then be a little bit clearer on the things that you that you really want so uh inputs might be you know training people or um educating your audience on the composers that you're that you're performing and then the impacts might be that they that they come and they know more about the (laughs) they know more about the composer the outputs for example if you're in new music and you are trying to help build the visibility of a composer that you're working with and your input is you commission and then perform the piece. The impact is that somebody else hears that piece and then also perhaps they have a bigger organization and they then finally take that outcome step for you which is they commission not only that composer but then they also hire you to perform. That would be an outcome for example. So these are just some some basic, you know, exercises that we can do to start changing our experience around around outcomes and activities. What I really want us to do, divas, is it's one of my big tenets that we kind of avoid this this addiction to busyness because being addicted to busyness does not necessarily mean that you're making it. Um, and I am the first one to say that I will jump in and feel that anytime, right? If I just feel busy, then nobody can tell me that I'm not doing it, quote unquote, doing it. And so I want us to kind of take a take a look at ourselves and say, I do not have to fill up my life with meaningless tasks. I do not have to fill up my musical life with, with unmindful activities. I can choose to only do activities that are directly related to outcomes that are important to me. And I really do think that it will change your experience with your art making, with your career around art making. Even if you don't think of your music making as a career, I think that if you choose activities that are only based or only connected to to those larger outcomes, you will feel like you are on a path, that you are not wasting time, but rather being strategic in how you are moving towards those large, like audacious, awesome, awesome goals, those seemingly impossible goals. So divas, I am so excited that you are doing this work with me. I hope that if you have any questions about what we were talking about today, that you will hit me up on Twitter. Again, I'm always at MezzoEnen, M-E-Z-Z-O. I-H-N-E-N. Of course, please check out The Sybaritic Singer and you can get in contact with me there via email. 
and I, you know, I want to hear about how you are changing your day-to-day life to be more outcome-based rather than activity-based. So, until next time. Yeah, exactly.